We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Wednesday episode of the Rotowire Fantasy Basketball Podcast. Nick Whalen here with Alex Barutha. Uh, Alex, we are inching ever closer to the start of the NBA season. Uh, it certainly doesn't feel like we're just a little over a month away from opening night, uh, but that is in fact the case. October 18th, that's currently September 14th. Um, all attention is on the NFL right now, and rightfully so. Uh, you know, Our site is putting out a ton of content. Uh, I know you were, you were telling me about the Atlanta Falcons stack that you built uh, in your DFS week one lineup the other day. Uh, I've been in the weeds on NFL as well, but the NBA is sneaking up on us, man. And, you know, we had a lot of storylines in the off season, but it does feel like overall, this has been a, a relatively quiet off season, especially compared to, to some of the huge off seasons we've had in years past with a ton of superstars on the move. It, it felt like we were going to get that for a while. And then, you know, a lot of the, the smoke around Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving, you know, kind of ended up subsiding, but we did get the Donovan Mitchell trade. We got the Gobert trade. Uh, in light of all that, we we conducted kind of our first official uh, industry Rotowire only mock draft over the past week. It was a slow draft, uh, and it was a, a very unique format with only five teams. And, and you were the one, you were the mastermind behind this draft. So I'll, I'll let you kind of introduce it before we break everything down. Yeah, so I wanted I wanted to basically get together everyone who's regularly on the podcast. So me, you, Ken, Shannon, and James uh, to draft about two hundred guys. You know, to kind of give us a rough feel of like what is the expert top one hundred and fifty slash two hundred. Like, what are we all? You know, what are we all feeling after doing outlooks and rankings and stuff like that? I wanted to ideally for it to be a best ball, but I wanted it to be roto. Apparently, that's not a thing. So. Um, the league rules were there's five teams. Uh, we each draft 40 players to get the to 200. And then we start 20 of them. It's five guards, five forwards, two centers and eight flex. So, you know, you don't like getting centers is a good thing. Right. And we play it on fan tracks. And for 
Um, for posterity, Fantrax is one of the more flexible sites in terms of position eligibility. You know, like Giannis qualifies at center, for example. Um, but I didn't want it to be, be a situation where like you had to feel like you had to get a ton of centers or something like that. So I feel like this is a pretty representative top 200 that we've drafted and is not reflective of like um, what position did I need necessarily. There's enough flex spots to just kind of deal with it. That's a good breakdown. Uh, I think you hit on a lot of the major tenets with this league. And, and yeah, you're right about the positional uh, designations. Pretty generous overall. I mean, nothing over the top. For the most part, I think everything makes sense. And I, w- I would prefer it that way. I, I think it's, it's really yeah. not fun when you're, you're dealing with these you know, really tight constraints and you, know, you feel like you're at a disadvantage just because there's you know, so few traditional centers or center-eligible players on a given site. But uh, I found myself, as we went through this draft, like, I didn't really think about position all that much. I mean, I, I know you have to start. Uh, is it you have to start two centers? Yeah, two centers, but then five of every five of guard, five of forward, and then eight flex. Yeah, yeah. So you have a ton of flexibility, and and you know this thing went forty rounds deep. So it's not like the end of the world if you if you load up on guards and forwards early on, and you know you don't have Embiid or or Towns or whoever. Um, you know, you're still able to at least get a quality center or two, uh, and then make up for it with, with depth elsewhere. But I mean, pretty much every roster, you know, everybody has like six, seven uh, eligible centers at least. I mean, we saw James came out and took three centers in his first four picks and four yeah. centers in his first six. He has Embiid, Towns, Gobert, and Mobley. So I, I do kind of like that strategy just because of the scarcity. Um, and that, that kind of sent me into a little bit of a panic. I mean, I, I started three <laughs> guards, Doncic, Curry, Lillard. Uh, but then you realize it's like there's still a ton of centers left. So James is going to have an advantage for sure at the position, but you know, despite me ignoring center for my first four picks, I still got Bam Adebayo. I still got Miles Turner. I still got Shangun. I got Capella uh, late, I think around pick 80 or 90. I ended up grabbing Jared Jackson, Mo Bamba. So like you're, you're still getting viable options at center later in the draft. But uh, we're, we're going to have a, a roundtable follow-up piece that's going to break down this draft. We'll provide the full draft board and all that. But, uh, you know, you asked some questions, just, just kind of general uh, reactions to the draft and, and whatnot. But uh, one of the questions that you asked is who is the most surprising top 50 selection? And honestly, dude, I, I had a pretty hard time coming up with everybody. I, I think everyone right. was pretty responsible here. You know, this was a draft that I, I think the goal, like you said, was to make this essentially a, a top 200 ranking on the fly. And, you know, nobody really went too far out of turn. Like th- there's going to be a few reaches here and there, but most of them are on guys like Zion or Evan Mobley or Scotty Barnes or Kate Cunningham, like justifiable reaches for guys who could definitely take a big step forward this season. So, you know, the, the names that I came up with were like Kyrie Irving went 22. Uh, you took him there. Uh, you, you had kind of established early that you were going to go with a very high variance team. Yeah. If everybody on your team stays healthy, you're going to win the league. Uh, if everyone has the t- kind of health luck that they've had in years past, you'll probably finish in last. <laughs> uh, but I, I appreciated you embracing that early on. So, I mean, you grabbed you grabbed Kyrie, you got AD, you got Kevin Durant, you got Kawhi, uh, you got SGA, uh, pretty much the, the whole gamut. Uh, Jamal Murray, yeah. Michael Porter of, of high-risk, high-reward guys. Yeah, I wasn't aiming to do that, but I, you know, this is this is more of like a best ball format. You have a super deep team. There's no pickups. I don't even think I've really mentioned. No pickups, you know, no waiver system, no trades, right? So this is your team. Um, yes. So I figured uh, I'm a little more okay going risky here because the rosters are so deep that I can kind of sub guys in and out there. I like later, but yes, um, 
ultimately I, I felt like I ended up with these guys because I thought I was getting good value on them. I don't go out to target these guys. It's just at some point I'm looking at the draft board at a way more, more so in recent years when I'm looking at a draft board, I'm thinking who left on the board could in a best case scenario finish with like first round value. And so I try to, I try to game that out for as long as I can. And then I sort of, I kind of move the goalposts. Like when we're in round 50, I'm like, best case scenario, can this or round 50 pick 50? I'm like, who can finish maybe with top, you know, uh, like second round value or something like that, which is how I end up with like Brad Beal at 42, um, stuff like that. So that was kind of how I ended up with all of these guys. Cause I'm looking at Kawhi Leonard at 32 and I go like, maybe he does play 60, 65 games. Um, there's still a chance he ends up like the 15th ranked player or something like that. And when he does play, he's going to be great. So that's how that happened. Beal at 42 was one of the steals of the draft. And again, I, I think everyone played this draft really well and took it seriously. So there weren't, yeah. you know, there were not a lot of picks that, you know, th- this is a slow draft. You're, you know, you're getting email alerts. Sometimes, sometimes the picks are minutes apart. Sometimes they're hours or even days apart. Um, you know, so it, it, it's not like this was like everybody's locked in for 40 straight rounds, but I thought all the picks were were really thought out and there, there was not, there were not a lot where I'm like, man, I really hope this guy is there for me. And more often than not, you know, you're setting your queue. And by the time it's your turn to pick again, even if only four or five picks have elapsed, um, everybody was really sharp. So there, there, there was not a, a ton of, you know, somebody who obviously should have gone in the top 50 going in like pick 80 or anything like that. Um, and which, which is, which says a lot because, you know, for as great as fan tracks was, there were some weird, uh, some like wonky names in the player pool. You know, it's like, I think like Chris Chioza was for some reason, like default top 50. Yeah. Uh, so you did, you did have to do some work in, as far as sorting through and like really getting uh, down into the nitty gritty, especially in those final 10 rounds or so. And, you know, you mentioned no transactions. I was very close to taking OJ Mayo with my last pick, uh, <laughs> you know, it infused a little comedy into the draft. And then I double checked and saw that there are no transactions. So uh, I, I avoided that, but I just want to get that out there. There are a lot of uh, a lot of guys who've been out of the league for a while still in the player pool. Always nice. Like Gilbert Arenas was in my queue for a little bit. But, oh, yeah. I uh, decided to pass on him as well. Yeah, I think sometimes with those uh, with the queue on fan tracks, the ADP gets messed up because of I think if those players get drafted in like one public league draft, that becomes their ADP. Yeah. Um, so it could just be people messing around. Uh but yeah, always good to um, like, it's always good to be aware of ADP, like ADP data is not like generally when you're looking at it, it's not, Hey, this is the ADP from like this week. It's, this is the ADP from the start of when drafts open. So sometimes you'll be looking at a guy like Colin Sexton, for example, I don't remember what his ADP is off the top of my head, but if you're drafting today, his ADP is going to be as reflective as it was when he didn't have a contract as when he as when he got traded to the jazz and now might be drafted in like pick 60. Um, so that's important to keep in mind as well. You have to be aware of that. Um, yeah. Who do you, so who do you feel like in the top 150 that you got was the best value in your opinion at the round that you got them? So this is another question in the round table. And, and again, that'll be up on the site in the next day or two. And, and we'll post the full board and all that. So you can, you can follow along and uh, eventually we'll, you know, we'll include the link to that article in the podcast description. So if you're listening, you could pull it up. You know, again, I, I, I thought I would look at my roster and be like, oh, I got all these guys, great values. Um, I like my team a lot. I, I actually feel really good about it. But it was hard for me to say, like, I got this guy 10 to 20 spots higher or 20, 10 to 20 spots lower, I should say 
than I thought. Um, so I'm, I'm going to throw out some names that are just like not all that impressive, but getting Clint Capella at 78. Uh, yeah. We talked about him on the pod last week. I mean, you know, his days as a, as a top 50 guy, maybe they're done. Took a pretty big step back last season. You know, we're, we're a little concerned about, uh, you know, how much Onyeka Okungwu is going to factor into that rotation. Although I did get him as well to, to back up Capella. But if, if Capella bounces back, I mean, this is a guy who bona fide top 50, top 60 uh, player in years past. You know, big, big rebounds, uh, field goal percentage, blocks, contributor. So I like that one. Um, I, I pulled the trigger on Jaron Jackson at 103. I, I kind of had him on my do not draft list. I figured somebody would reach for him quite a bit further uh, into the draft, but I, I thought at 103 it was worth the risk. You know, if he plays, if he plays even like 55 games and right. blocks a bunch of shots and hits a bunch of threes, like that'll be worth it. Um, there's also a world in which he plays like 30 games and you know, that's not a good pick at 103. But to me, that was at the point in the draft where a lot of the, uh, basically anybody who had real upside was gone. So I felt, I felt okay taking Jackson there. Uh, and then Harrison Barnes at 118. Uh, you know, the arrival of Keegan Murray does make me wonder if maybe he finally takes a step back, but he's one of those guys just super, super boring. But every year finds a way to finish, you know, usually inside the top 100 just by virtue of, you know, racking up just decent counting stats and playing a ton of games. I do like uh, your handcuff of Capella and Okongwu. I think that's like a very, I, I don't know how many people listening actually play in like best ball drafts, but if you're going to play, in like a 200 deep NBA basketball draft, handcuffing is something you can do, even though historically it's more of like something that happens in football, right? With running backs. Mm -hmm. um, I think it's a viable strategy in, in best balls or deep leagues, especially if you're uh, drafting injury prone guys or guys in like this Capello Congress situation where it's, it, it could be almost like a minute split. Yeah. I mean, I, I really liked your draft. I thought you're like late. I mean, it's hard. Again, this league is so shallow. It's hard not to like a lot of these guys, but, you had like Ananobia, 58, Maxi, Hero, Nurkic, Capella, Jeremy Grant. Like, I actually think Gary Trent at 88 was really sneaky. I think he's one of the most undervalued Roto players um, in fantasy. So uh, I think I think that was a good target as well. Well, it's, it's um, really hard because, you know, it's such a shallow league. So obviously, you know, you're getting like Fred Van Vliet in the sixth round and, you know, you're never, you're never going to feel this good about a draft ever again in your life. And I, I'm sure all five of us feel like we nailed it because right. you know, you're, you're the 10th pick of the draft. You're, you, you're, I'm, I'm getting Chris Middleton uh, as my 10th best player in theory. So, you know, like you, the, the rosters are completely loaded because it is so shallow, but I actually thought it made it, it made it kind of difficult to know, what to target in terms of categories. You know, if you're, if you're in like a, a 12 team league, you can kind of look around the first five, six, seven rounds of the draft and say, okay, this, this team, maybe they're punting blocks or this team's going to be loaded on three pointers. Maybe they got Curry and Lillard or something like that. Every team is so loaded that like, I don't feel like anybody has like a real strategy, you know, because, you know, I, I took like Doncic, Curry, Lillard with my first three picks. And I'm thinking like, Oh man, I'm going to be set in terms of three pointers. It's like, well, not really because there's 37 more picks that you're going to add to your team. And you could get someone, you know, like Buddy Heald or like a Gary Trent, who you brought up, like those guys could finish top 10 in made threes. So, you know, th those advantages that you would normally have uh, with the superstars in a, in a normal size league, I, I feel like aren't really there. It's, it's really tough to just to glance at each roster and say, all right, here are the strengths, here are the weaknesses. Yeah. I feel like this, this league could end up being won like by everybody's picks from like 100 on. Um, yeah. Because those are kind of where you're you're kind of planting your flag. I think these guys are going to be way better 
Uh, you know, I think like these guys outside the top 100 could end up being like top 75, top 50 values if everything goes right. Um, everybody's kind of taking Hail Marys like super late in the draft. But uh, yeah, it's it's a little hard to gauge. But I also feel like, you know, that that sort of you're not exactly clear what everyone's strategy is. You're not exactly sure necessarily what you want to go for. I think it does create a more organic like list that we can go back to during draft season and being like, this is how in general people who are really locked into fantasy bas- basketball view these guys. You know, like to me, if I just put in order these guys in a top 150, I feel like I can transfer that over to any draft I'm doing, NFBC, whatever. I feel like I know that if I want Jamal Murray, for example, who I grab with pick 69, if I want Jamal Murray, I'm pretty confident I can wait that far because one of you guys would have took him if you felt like he was undervalued. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, you know, you're not really factoring in certain builds or, you know, certain, you know, in, in some drafts, like if you're, if you're constructing your team a certain way, you might pass on someone who ordinarily you would take in that spot. So that is a really good point. Um, We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. I, I want to ask you some questions about your draft. So uh, one of the questions in the round table was, you know, outside of your own team, whose final five picks have the highest upside? And uh, again, you know, by, by this point in the draft, you know, we're talking like, you know, one, I guess what, 190 or 170 on, I don't know, not, not a math guy. So you're not, you're not getting like big names in this zone, but there's still, you know, you, you really got to think about these last picks because again, there are no transactions, you know, so you got to be, you know, maybe taking a chance on someone who you just have a, a feeling about, I, it was difficult for me. I don't think anyone like nailed the final five picks. There wasn't like one standout player, but I I ended up saying that I I liked your final five the best. And that was due in large part to one of the biggest deals of the draft. And I I think part of this was where he was in the player pool, but Joe Harris at 182, like a a forgotten man last season, uh, obviously will, will finish well inside the top 180 if he's healthy, Um, you know, could be near the league lead in threes. So I, I love that pick that alone, basically, uh, you know, tilted the scales in your favor. Nerland Noel 
you know, like I have no idea if he I keep forgetting that he's on the Pistons. Like for right. a while it felt like they might waive him. He's still on the roster. I, I think I think the best case scenario for him is he ends up somewhere else uh, where he could play a larger role. Uh, Cody Martin, you grabbed at 192. I mean, we're getting real deep here, but probably benefits if if and when Miles Bridges, you know, is no longer on this team. And then a guy who I always find myself taking at the end of drafts, you got Andre Drummond at 199. You're, you're a Nikola Vucevic injury away from Andre Drummond, right. you know, potentially being a, a top 100 guy. And even like, no matter where he goes, he's, he's kind of on a mission to play for as many teams as possible right now. But he always finds a way, even if he's playing like 18 minutes a game, every now and then he'll just have those explosive games. Like he's, he's, he's still not that old. Uh, I thought that was a great pick. I mean, to me, Drummond, if you're in a league this deep, He's got to get drafted just because of that. I think I think when you are outside of – I mean, it, it sort of depends on I, – I, I don't want to say it's exclusive to deep leagues, right? But when you're in your final picks, you're, you kind of have to decide between, okay, there are a ton of guys on the board right now who I know are going to get like 30 minutes a game, but they're just like not that productive. They're low usage guys, but I know they're going to be on the court. Or you have to go for guys who are like, these are great per minute guys. You know, if for some reason – this guy starts seeing 25 to 30 plus minutes a game. This is going to be massive. So you kind of have to deal between those two um, options. And I usually go for the latter, like guys who I think are just per minute. And again, are like an injury away. Like, you know, I also grabbed Daniel Gafford. Like if Porzingis gets hurt, Gafford could be closer to 30 minutes a game. And you mentioned again, Noel in Detroit, Isaiah Stewart goes down or, I guess it would almost have to be Stewart, but he could end up there. Um, and I feel like everybody in the draft did a pretty good job of that. And especially guys who have proven in the past, like, you know, I like James, like Davion Mitchell at 180. That's great. Cause Fox went out last year and Mitchell was great. Um, you know, Shannon grabbed Toppin. It's like, if, uh, you know, if, if Randall gets hurt, that makes sense. Um, you know, you had Quentin Grimes who is, you know, um, going to be in the rotation for, for the Knicks or, um, O'Shea Brissett for Indiana. Like that's, we don't exactly know what's going on in Indiana's front court. So those, those whole guys like had, they had to get drafted. And I think, um, I feel like maybe, I don't know if you even like Kobe white that much. Um, yeah. right. But, um, I think there is a chance he gets dealt to like a rebuilding team where he starts seeing bigger minutes, even yeah. if he starts the season outside of the rotation. So if we're talking pick 193, it's like, if you think that's a possibility, then you can draft a guy like that's how that's kind of how deep we are in the sort of mentality you have to be into. Yeah. At the end of the draft, I mean, I took more of that, that mentality of, of taking a few risks. I mean, I did grab Bojan Bogdanovich who he was kind of another guy, much like Joe Harris. It felt like he slipped uh, just with the way that the, the player pool was organized, but also a lot of unknowns uh, as far as whether he's even on the jazz by the time opening night comes around. But yeah, for the most part, I was like, you know, Grimes, uh, O'Shea Brissett, like you said, Josh Christopher, was my final pick somebody who is you just kind of looking like all right what teams could end up trading someone like eric gordon or right. uh you know trade miles turner and all of a sudden O'Shea percent is playing 25 30 minutes a night um that, that was kind of the the end game with those picks at the end but uh, i want to go back to the question you asked me earlier uh sure. which, which pick of yours inside the top 150 did you feel like was your best value um i had some ones that i felt like people so i will say i felt like i stole jamal murray at 69 yeah. um i know there are some questions about you know like is he going to be rusty after the year off um uh, maybe they'll send him back to back stuff like that those are fair questions and they could happen 
but he was like third round value two years ago. So if you're getting a guy who you feel like can basically climb up half the, you know, half the rankings compared to where you drafted him. Like if I think I'm getting a guy at 70 who can rank 35, I'm going to feel great about that. So I, I kind of felt like I stole him. Um, Everyone else I felt like was pretty much in line with where I was expecting them to be off the board. Like um, I I guess Beal at 42 would be my next guy. I, I think Beal at 42 I'm not sure he'll ever get back to when he was a first round value a few years ago, but he clearly has that potential. And I do, I'm, I'm in the camp that I think last year was just a bizarre down year for him and may have been a wear and tear thing after the past two seasons. And I actually think Porzingis being there will help him. Mm-hmm. So um, I think, I think Beal and Murray are, are my two guys that I felt like I kind yeah. of stole them. I regret not pick, taking Beal at 38. That would have been my previous pick there. Um, I mean, you you passed on him at thirty nine, got SGA, and then still got him right. uh, a few picks later when you were up again. So that was that was really really shrewd. Um, I, I think at that point I was self conscious about how many guards I was taking. I think I think four of my first six picks were guards, and I, I just taken Van Vliet, and I was like, all right, I need to I need to at least gain some ground here in blocks. So that's why I went with Miles Turner. But yeah, I think that's a good call. I mean, I will say for sure I would have taken Michael Porter, who who you got at what seventy nine. Yeah. I believe um, I, I, if he had made it to my next pick for sure would have taken him. Uh, I, I got Capella, you know, at 78 and then Porter 79. So you know, I, I can't claim that I got a great value on Capella uh, and then say that I also would have taken Porter, but <laughs> for the record, had he made it to my next pick at 83, I would have taken him over Jeremy Grant. That is for sure. So yeah, I think you got great value on both of those Denver guys. Uh, you know, as your, your team name on Fantrax, the all ambulance team, implies uh, you, you have a, a lot of variance here, but I also think you did pretty well to, to grab, you know, kind of mix in some safer options with, with some of the risks. And obviously, I mean, if Kyrie plays 65 games, even that's a huge win. If Kevin Durant plays 65 games, you're in great shape. If Kawhi plays 65 games, um, you know, all three of those things happening, maybe not likely, but um, I mean, you have major, major upside, like Kawhi, you know, there's a world in which Kawhi is like a top 15 guy and you got him at 32. Yeah, I some of some of this comes down to how confident are you in your late drafting ability? Like, you know, again, I drafting against you guys, I'm never going to feel like I'm going to get like amazing steals towards the end of these drafts, right? I feel like they're all going to be pretty. It's just going to be the guys that I like who are available compared to more casual drafts. Um, but if you're someone who feels really confident, like I understand, you know, like I think I have really good reads on picks 75 through 125. And I can make great picks there. Then you can afford to take some risks earlier in the draft. Um, I I have enough confidence to do that. Is it this best decision? I I don't know because um, I usually just try to get guys at good value and figure out the rest later. Um, but I don't know. There's some guys too, like later, like Anthony Simons at 92. Like, and I'm I'm okay with getting guys like Al Horford and Gordon Hayward around like that 100 mark. I know they're they're not sexy names, and the upside isn't crazy. But again, they're guys who per game value are like in the 60s. Um, so yeah, it's um, kind of a weird draft for me. But I again, it's it's weird because it's hard to even evaluate your own team properly. You almost have to like go, you almost have to create two separate teams in your head and like alternate picks, sort of. Um, yeah. Where you're like, I have a I have a team that's like the odd rounds. Like I have a team that's like the even odds. So you even get like a gauge on how you feel like you did. Right. And that would essentially equate, you know, to a, to a 10 team league. So yeah, that, that's a good point. I'll, I'll just quickly run through the top 
20 picks just to, okay. to give listeners, you know, a, a gauge for how that went. And then we can comment on those. So in order, Jokic, Giannis, Doncic, Embiid, Tatum, Harden, Towns, Curry, KD, Trey Young, LaMelo Ball, LeBron, Lillard, Darius Garland, Halliburton, Anthony Edwards, Gobert, Paul George, Anthony Davis, Devin Booker. Any any major qualms with any of those picks? So uh, I thought I, I will say I think that the um, it's interesting that there were three Minnesota Timberwolves drafted in the top seventeen. Yeah. Um, there's no way all of those work out like that. I uh, I thought Anthony Edwards at sixteen was aggressive, and I thought Towns at seven was aggressive. I the thing is I I believe in Anthony Edwards. I feel like. I don't know. It's hard to say like I hate either of those picks, but I, I feel like I'm on the record at this point saying I don't like this year for Towns. I think his rebounds are in trouble. I think his his blocks are in trouble. Um, I'm worried about Edwards taking his usage. I just think there's a t- chance we see Towns take a meaningful step back and maybe have his worst fantasy season. It's it's possible the increase in threes and like um, you know, overall efficiency kind of offsets the, the rebounds and the blocks loss. And I don't know if he'll be passing as much either. I'm just worried about him. I'm worried about him at seven. I've, I, I would be scared to draft him inside the top 15 personally. I just think there are better options. Yeah. I'm with you on towns and, and he could only fall so far, you know I mean? He's still going to be, if he stays healthy, he's like a lock to finish in the top 20, but I, I think there's a chance he falls out of the first round. Like you said, like the decline in rebounds to me, that feels like a lock. Uh, you know, he's already not a, a great shot blocker and you know, the arrival of, of Gobert, you would think would only decrease those opportunities. I, I think there's a chance that like, I keep comparing the Timberwolves to the bulls. And I think there may be a, a more souped up version of yeah. that, but I think there's a chance that he ends up being like the Zach Levine of this season, which I guess would make Edwards the DeRozan and, you know, Gobert, I, I think his value is just like really stable no matter what. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I, I think he could end up still being really good and they'd be a good team, but I think he just kind of just loses a lot of what he's been doing as a, the clear number one guy over the last few years. So, yeah, I, I think no matter the size of the league, um, I, I would still downgrade him a decent amount. Like, for example, I would you know, I would take Curry over Towns. Um, you know, you'd have to consider guys like Trey Young, LaMelo, um, you know, maybe maybe Damian Lillard, depending on how optimistic you are about his recovery, uh, which, I mean, the fact that I took him at 13 indicates that I am. Um, but, yeah, the Edwards pick, of Sh- that was by Shannon at pick 16. You know, I get the upside. I, I just, I, I think he's one of those guys who could take a big step forward in real life, but I don't, I don't know that he has like the highest fantasy ceiling just by virtue of the type of player that he is, you know, like, like his, his best case scenario season for this year, I think is probably like a peak Donovan Mitchell type of season. And, you know, Edwards maybe has more defensive upside, but you know, he's never going to be like a 28 and eight guy. No, um, I don't know. I mean, the thing is, he's he is really promising, though. Like, you watch him on the court, you see the superstar potential. He played really well in the playoffs, uh, which I think was huge against Memphis. You know, obviously a great defensive team. His game did not slow down at all. Um, so yeah, some of it, too, is like he right now, Edwards is not asked to be a passer. Like he's not asked to be the driving force of the offense in that way because they still have D'Angelo Russell. Like they still have Russell to kind of do that. He's out there facilitating, getting his like seven, eight assists a game. And then Edwards can focus more on, 
you know, give him the ball when the shot clock's low. Um, he can make some cuts, make some pull-up threes in transition, the whole thing like that. So uh, I agree with you in that sense. Like I, he, I could see him jumping up to like 25 points a game. And I mean, the thing is, yeah, if he remains efficient at that point, he'll be pushing rank 17. I don't think it's like, I don't think it's a bad pick. It's just, it's aggressive, you know, but if at some point you're just banking on the guy's talent, you know, like we can go back and forth all day about like, do I think he's gonna be the 24th ranked player, or the 19th ranked player. Um, but if a guy has the usage and the talent at some point, it's going to pop and some people just don't want to be the guy to miss that, which I understand. Right. And in a draft like this, you know, we're our, our primary goal, like you said, is to kind of lay out a, a top 200 or so, but it's relatively low stakes. You know, you're not, you know, we, we didn't do like a $500 entry here. So, you know, Shannon's, Shannon's life is not on the line if Anthony no. Edwards doesn't make that leap. But I, I also think that's kind of a good thing, right? Like I think, I think people are, more willing to, to take some risks, you know, Cunningham all the way uh, up at 24. I felt like I reached maybe a little bit for Scotty Barnes at 33. Um, you know, I, I think just kind of knowing that it, it's more like an experiment than, than a high stakes league lends itself well to, to kind of giving, giving a look into like, what would you really do if, if you weren't cared about, if, if you didn't really care that much about the outcome. Um, DeJounte Murray went 35th. I was kind of waiting on someone to grab him in round five yep. and then round six. And then he goes, with the final pick of round seven, I, you know, he's one of those guys that you have him sitting in the queue. Uh, if he had made, I was probably going to take miles Turner in round eight, no matter what, if he had made it into the forties, uh, you know, DeJounte Murray versus Zach Levine, for example, who I took at 43, that's an interesting debate. Uh, but 35, that was, that was a, a little bit further slide. I think than I anticipated uh, in this specific league. I think, um, I think this is where he should be drafted. Let's put it that way. I think this is appropriate yes. draft value for DeJounte Murray. Um, his ADP is higher than this. Uh, I think it's in the 20s, if I'm not mistaken, depending on the site. But yeah, I just, uh, it's it's hard to say. I, I don't have a lot of faith in him this year as a guy who is going to even come close to replicating what he did last year. Um. As I said on the podcast on Friday with Shannon and, and Ken, this backcourt, the Atlanta Hawks backcourt, is not going to average 18 assists a game. Just can't happen. And I think Murray, Mur I, I don't think it. Murray is worse than Trey Young. So he's going to be the guy who I think takes the biggest hit. Now, again, we can speculate on does Trey Young play off ball more? Uh, I think that's a distinct possibility, a little more like Curry action, stuff like that. But, um, you know, Murray's not a great outside shooter himself, so it's going to be the, the fit's not going to be perfect. His defensive upside is still fantastic. And maybe he'll have more, even more energy than he has on that end of the floor, and he can lead the league in steals and give you a half, you know, maybe 0.75 blocks, something like that. But um, I think 35 is where he should be drafted. Yeah, I, I think you're right. I, I was just surprised that you know, everybody was kind of in lockstep on that. I, I thought somebody would would pop that a little earlier, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's significant downside for DeJounte Murray. And even if he remained in San Antonio, it, it did in some ways feel like last year was, was the absolute best case scenario uh, in terms of the opportunity that he had. I, I just didn't really see them, you know, kind of handing him the reins like that ever again. So um, yeah, I, I still think there are going to be people that will take him maybe even in like the, like the 15 to 20 range. I certainly would not do that. I, I think we'll see him go probably more often in like the 20 to 30 range, but yeah, I'm more comfortable. If you, if you can get him at 35 to me, there's not a ton of downside there. It's like, yeah, maybe he could finish like in the forties or like worst case, the fifties, but 
you're not going to feel terrible about that pick. I think if you take him at 24, uh, I don't, you might be regretting that one. Right. And one thing we, we talked about too, like you and I on the, on the pod is a really underrated part of his fantasy value, uh, which could change was his rebounding. He was 8.3 yeah. rebounds a game last year and 7.1 the year before when he ranked 65th. And, um, you know, the, the Spurs didn't have like a great rebounding front court and Atlanta does like Clint Capel is a, a really good defensive rebounder. And then they have a Congo coming in after him and John Collins runs in there and grabs some rebounds. Hunter is not a Deandre Hunter's not a bad rebounder. So if he drops, if Murray drops back down to like that six rebound mark, in addition to the lower usage, it, that's a concern. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, he's a, maybe the best rebounder as a point guard in the entire league. So that that's a huge part uh, of his fantasy profile. I'm trying to scan the the draft here for any other names who really stood out. I mean, I, I took Shangun at 53. I, I kind of felt like he was one of those guys that like, you got to know the draft room. James is a Shangun guy. I felt like yep. if I didn't take him, he was, he was going to be right on my back. Uh, and of course he took Jalen green the pick after Shangun 54 to me too high for Jalen green. I, I think he takes a leap forward. I think he has a great year. I just don't think I don't, I, I think there's going to be a disconnect between his real value and his fantasy value for a while, as is often the case with shooting guards, the shooting guards, probably like the least friendly fantasy position, uh, excuse me for, for a number of reasons. But uh, as long as Kevin Porter is on that team, I just, I just don't love that situation for Jalen green. Um, we, we can talk about the rookies, I suppose. I, I mean, unfortunately, sure. obviously Chet Holmgren, was not involved in this draft. It's a, it's a, it's a redraft. So I would have loved to have reached for Chet Holmgren, but alas, uh, we saw Bancaro go off the board uh, first. He went 55th to Shannon. Shannon's always got the inside track on, on rookies. I feel like he's always the first one uh, to make those picks, but after Bancaro, uh, Jabari Smith went 86 and then Keegan Murray went 98 to me. Uh, Matherin 111. So we, we actually saw some like pretty, pretty distinct tiers here, you know, Bancaro at 55, um, you know, and then Jabari at 86. That's a, that's a 31 pick gap between the first right. and second rookies drafted. Yeah. I'm, I'm relatively confident in, in Bancaro. I think he's going to be out there for a ton of minutes. I think they'll, they'll feed the ball to him. Um, at the same time, I also like Fultz, you know, I think Fultz is going to have a good year. Um, and they are a little deeper than a lot of other rebuilding teams, which is something you've, you've touched on in the, in your rookie articles that you've written. They have Wagner there who, was capable of handling the ball as well. Wendell Carter Jr. can pass. So I'm really interested to see how the team turns out. They have their lack of shooting uh, is extremely concerning, and I'm worried the lane is going to be too clogged for, for Bancaro a lot of times. But um, I think he will be the best fantasy rookie. But yeah, I think after that, Jabari Smith, uh, summer league performance worried me, but he should have oper- plenty of opportunities in um, Houston, although he'll have to f- li- probably literally have to steal the ball from Kevin Porter. Um, not that Kevin Porter is a terrible pass or anything like that, but yeah, I felt like this is like the right order. Matherin and Keegan Murray are both guys who are Murray looks great in summer league. Matherin might have more shock attempts, but uh, you know, he also looked good. It's kind of, um, it kind of gets a little, like you mentioned, it's like a tier, you know, Jabari's in his own tier a little bit. And then it's kind of like, well, Matherin, Murray, Ivy, and then people are taking shots at like Kessler. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, Tari Eason has been one of my guys. I, I think I got him in this draft. I, I just feel like I think he's, he's going to be good. Gonna be, 
I think he's going to be good. I mean, summer league numbers were, were awesome. The, the numbers at LSU were really diverse and he's in, he's in a great situation. Like if, if, and when they trade Eric Gordon, I, I think he's going to move into a, a regular rotation role if he doesn't have one right away. So um, you know, maybe you have to wait a little bit on that, but at some point I feel like he's going to be a factor. I, you know, Bancaro, I like, I, I wouldn't take him at 55. I just don't see, I think 55 is like the best case scenario. I mean, unless he completely blows us away. Um, I mean, Kate Cunningham was 50th in per game value last year, and he averaged like 17, six and six with over a steal a game and almost two threes a game. So, you know, that a lot of times, you know, rookies just aren't that productive. And, you know, if Ben Carroll can rank in, inside the top 50, that is a, a huge, huge win. I just, I think he, there's a better chance that he, he ranks somewhere between like 60 and 90. Um, I, I don't know. I, I don't like, he's not a guy that racks up a, a, a ton of defensive stats. I just, I don't know. I, I'm not, I'm not opposed to taking rookies, but I would rather, I would rather have Keegan Murray at pick 100 or Matherin at pick yeah. 115 than I would Bancaro at 55. That's kind of how I feel as well. Um, I didn't draft a single rookie. Um, I, and, and in general, I'm I'm someone who is okay. I would rather be a year late on a guy than a year early. Yep. So, um, you know, and I think I think James is someone who kind of drafts the opposite way. For example, like I know that when I'm in, I mean, I've been drafting with you guys for like half a decade at this point. Um, you know, so I know if I'm like, well, if I'm interested in like Jalen Green or Franz Wagner, it's like, I, I, I got to get them before James does. And I probably don't yep. want to do that. So, you know, if, if people look at my team, they're just going to see a lot of like, again, my, my late flyers are like Al Horford, Gordon Hayward, Lou Dort, Dylan Brooks. It's guys like that. Um, so I'm not, I'm not one to take a lot of chances on rookies to begin with. Yeah. I just don't think the upside's that high. You know, you're, if you, if you didn't take Scotty Barnes, you didn't take Cade Cunningham last year. I feel like you're not kicking yourself. It's not like they finished 10th overall and you got this like massive steal, you know, you, it's obviously Scotty Barnes was a nice asset, especially if you got him way late. You know, again, it's one thing if you're taking these guys like pick a hundred or later yeah. and then, you know, then if they finish 50th, that's huge. But if you're taking them at 65 and they finish 52nd, you know, I don't think you're taking like a massive victory lap there. It's, it's, it's nice, but it's not a, a huge value uh, relative to where you took them. But, you know, you said you didn't end up with any rookies and that's not shocking because to me, there are really only, there are only six rookies that I think will be drafted in almost every league. And that's, well, actually probably five. Bancaro, Smith, Murray, Ivy, Matherin. You know, mm -hmm. if you, you just go pick by pick after that. If you're talking about a league that has, let's say, 150 total players, like Shaden Sharp, probably not getting drafted. Dyson Daniels, no. Sohan, no. Johnny Davis, probably not. Usman Jang, no. Jalen Williams, no. Jalen Duran, no. Uh, Oshai Abaji, no. Um, you know, even Tari Eason, who I'm, I'm driving the bus for here, like he's probably not getting drafted in most of those leagues. And even Walker Kessler, who knows, by the time we get to October, maybe they make a trade and, and bring in a veteran center and, and that whole thing is over. So it's just a, it's a weird rookie class. I, I don't think it's a bad class necessarily, but a lot of the guys who went in the lottery, like Sharp, Daniels, Sohan, Jang, Williams, and, and Jalen Duran, I mean, that's like six lottery picks who are all kind of future project players and don't really project to be impact guys right away. Yeah, Shannon was asking me about Sohan last podcast because, you know, the Spurs took him and the Spurs are awful. Um, and it's just like, yeah, he maybe he sees 25 minutes a game. That's basically what we have him projected for. But he's someone who, he's 19. His big accomplishment in college was he won sixth man of the year in the Big 12. 
doesn't have like a great jumper. Um, he's like more of a defensive guy can sort of finish around the basket. It's like, I don't really see that happening. So it's like some of these guys you have to, it's like, it's case by case. It's like, can they get 25 minutes a game? Yes or no. Some guys. Yes. Like Sohan certainly possible. Are they guys who are going to put up fantasy numbers? And usually that comes down to, it's like, maybe he puts a good steal and blocks, but a lot of times it's just straight up usage. Like, does the team trust this guy? Like yeah. I would almost, there's a chance that like, um, Man, what's his first name? Uh, Braun, Christian Braun for Denver. There's almost a, cha- a better chance that Christian Braun is fantasy relevant than Sohan, I think, just because I think there's a chance. So, uh, Braun, you know, like if KCP, who's starting for them, gets hurt at shooting guard, Braun's the guy I think you plug in as, as a starter as opposed to like Bruce Brown or Bones Highland. Yeah. Um, so I don't know. It, it kind of depends. Yeah, I mean, with, with Christian, I believe it's Christian Brown, for the record. I'll have to Brown. double-check that, but I, I believe it's pronounced Brown. Um, with Christian Brown, there's just, like, such an obvious parallel to, like, Grayson Allen or Pat Connaughton. Like, he just kind of seems like the next in line to be, like, this 12-year white guy shooting guard who just sticks <laughs> around. Um, so, no, I, I do kind of like that. I mean, you know, they have Bruce Brown. They have Bones Highland, but, you know, Bones is more of a point guard, and Bruce Brown is, I don't even know, like, he's just kind of all over the place. So there is definitely a world – uh, in which Christian Brown is getting real minutes as a rookie, but again, you're not you're not you're not spending a draft pick on that guy. You're not worried that anyone else no. is going to snipe you on Christian Brown in a draft. I mean, Sohan's really interesting to me long term. I think you know there's they could pull off like this crazy developmental project, and and you know maybe he's just kind of this you know he, he kind of projects as like this future type of player that you want. You know, he's super athletic, he's long, he's, he's he weighs like two thirty. I mean, he's big, um, but yeah, in terms of like year one fantasy production I, I just don't see it i mean you can't really shoot uh like you said there could be some steals and blocks there like to me the best case scenario for him is he he's like chumo kiki you know right away where you're like okay maybe maybe i just plug him in and hope that he gets me like two steals and two blocks over the course of a, of a game or two so yeah I, I, it's a weird rookie class like like i said it's not it's not a bad class and we'd feel a lot differently about it i think if holmgren was involved but you take him away and all of a sudden it becomes a little underwhelming yeah. And then, and then, you know, it's like when we're taking guys like this in like the 150 range, it's, I'm, I'm just going to be like, I, I don't know, man. I'm taking Will Barton, you know, like at some point, yeah, it's just, yeah. that's kind of what I default to. Yeah. I, I just think, yeah, when you're, when you're talking about upside, it's like Will Barton's boring, but he's going to have a better season than Malachi Branham is going to have for the Spurs. <laughs> uh, although I, somebody in like the 10 to 30 range is, is going to be really relevant. We have no idea who right. it is, but every year, you know, there's somebody. Uh, who pops off. I mean, could, could be David Roddy, who knows? Um, you know, Memphis is, is pretty invested in a couple of those young guys. Uh, any other players that you want to hit before we get out of here? Uh, no, I don't think so. Okay. Yeah. I'm just trying to do a quick scan. I, I know James got John wall at 147. He I was, like that he one was a in lot. my queue think, for a while. Yeah. Yeah. I, I had, I, I, what we should really do is like publish our cues throughout the draft because I, I had some, <laughs> yeah. I had some debates, you know, especially later on where you're choosing between some, some difficult choices. Uh, I bit the bullet and drafted Kevin Love at 163. And I felt that that point, value. Uh, it was acceptable. Made me feel a lot better when James took Taylor Horton Tucker with the next pick um, and then immediately texted me to apologize for taking my guy. But right. uh, he's no longer my guy. I'm officially renouncing Taylor Horton Tucker. But yeah, no, I, I, like we said, I, I, most of these picks are in line with about what you think. Um, I'm just trying to throw out names that people might be wondering, like, where are they plugging in? Like Russell Westbrook was at 115. Seems about right. I feel like that's almost exactly where he came in 
in our, our Roto rankings on the yep. sites. Uh, Kyle Kuzma went at pick 100. I think that's fine. I think that's perfectly fine. Could definitely finish higher than that, especially if Porzingis gets hurt. Uh, Trey Jones went 90. Mm-hmm. Also fine. Seems about right to you. Yeah, I mean, I'm a Trey Jones guy this year. Um, he obviously someone in my queue for a while, but I just like kept. There was other guys I felt safer about, but I think 90, 90 is a good spot for him. Yeah, that was a Ken Kreitz pick, and I hate to say it, Ken Ken had some shrewd picks in this. Well, I, I felt like he was. He he made a lot of these picks after we did our sleepers pod on Friday. And oh, let me did tell he? you. Okay, that explains yeah, it. I was, was gonna say, I was like, guys, I was like, I didn't know Ken was in on that guy, huh? Yeah, that explains uh that explains the Trey Jones, Lori Markinen back to back picks because those were both guys we mentioned in our that I we threw out in our article or our podcast. So uh yeah, uh, I'm uh, I, I called him out for that in the draft room. Yeah, there was there's that one point where yeah, you know, I already talked about I wanted Michael Porter, you got him, and then I really wanted Buddy Heald. And I was like, I was very confident that I could get him with my next pick. And there goes Ken grabbing Buddy Heald at, at 80 overall. Like yeah, always always get your hands on Buddy Heald if you can. It's like a it's a free buoy in, in three pointers. Heald's a guy I like this year. I'm I'm a little worried like what happens when he, assuming he gets traded. But if somehow he's on the roster yeah. to start the year and they like play him 30 plus minutes, it's like he could put up big numbers for the team that like needs someone to score. Yeah, hundred percent. All right, dude, we'll get out of here. Uh, I know you, you got Atlanta Falcons analysis to do uh, before <laughs> week two. I, I know what they at the Rams. I think this week, but uh, busy times for us at RotoWire, that's for sure. But we're gonna keep pumping out a ton of content. Uh, like you said, I've I have a new rookies article up on the site. You have a sleeper article up. Uh, we got a, a ton more content coming over the next month and four days. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.